0: There isn't anyone out there, I'm sure... Who did not tap their feet or did not actually move with that track because I think that's just the effect of Elvis. Anyway, if you've just tuned in, you're listening to the Brunch Program with me, Sadia. I'm sitting in for Noreen today. I've got a special guest here today and uh, if you were a regular listener to 123 Show when I was doing it, um, you would have listened to Jang Javeri and his um, amazing JJ's Music Box where he pulled out some amazing, amazing artists and we learnt about their music and their life. And he joins me this afternoon, this morning as well. Here he is. Good, oh, good morning to you. I'm still getting confused because I was so used to talking to you at the other time.
1: It's the force of habit.
0: That's right. Good, good, good morning. morning. Good morning. How good are you? morning. Good to have you on the program again.
1: Yes, yes. I mean, I almost, um, when you said good morning, it reminded me about, uh, of that famous line with Robin Williams in Good Morning oh, Vietnam. Yeah. Yeah. And this is the kind of music you would have played.
0: Um, Oh, I right know. Then. It's amazing music. And I think, you know, while that track was on, we were both actually jiggling in our no, chairs. Yes, so you can't help yes, it.
1: Yes, you can't. You so, can't.
0: So, I mean, an amazing man. And I was just looking at some information about him. And supposedly, not only is he obviously known for his music and he's got so many followers, but there are just in the, the USA alone, there are 35,000 impersonators of Elvis Presley, God. which just shows <laughs> you that his music and his persona, everything lives on, really. Oh, Absolutely, does.
1: absolutely. I mean, he's one of the most copied and impersonated artists of all time. But, oh, you know, it's impersonation is an impersonation, yeah, not obviously. a patch on the original.
0: Obviously not. And,
1: I mean, this was just sheer and raw talent. Yet again, in a long, long list of people who had absolutely no training in music.
0: Oh, right. Okay, yeah. Okay, that's interesting.
1: In fact... Um, well, well, we'll just find out about what his is is uh, what his music teacher once said about him. But um, <laughs> this, we are talking about an icon, a person who had the most disproportionate influence on popular music. Um, in the 20th century. Yeah. I mean he pretty much defined what popular music is. I mean the Beatles and everybody else that came after him just took on him. I mean you know they 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 took that and they took it to uh, uh, they they moved it forward. They started where he left off.
0: Yes, absolutely.
1: And um you know obviously in his early fi- years he was considered a very controversial figure. His energetic performances were considered sexually provocative. <laughs> You know, so, you know, it wasn't the first time that we heard screaming women when the Beatles were around. This guy actually started he the started trend. He
0: started it all off. I, I remember just seeing uh, some feature on TV about him and suddenly all these women were just looking that, with their mouths open and then they were just screaming. Yes, you know, absolutely.
1: And um, uh, what also defined him or what, what set him apart was that in actual mm-hmm. fact his music was inspired Very much by what was then considered black music Mm
0: -hmm.
1: and which was not played very uh, widely on radio stations in the 50s. Obviously, you know, segregation and all of that played a big role in this. In fact, there was radio stations who played those records were known to play so-called race records. Mm -hmm. And he brought that into the mainstream. For he, which he was, for which he was panned, uh, but uh, it caught on. You know, that's what people wanted to listen to. So, you know, he. This is this is a this is a phenomenon who sold 500 million records worldwide during his career. Gosh,
0: can't even imagine that. Won
1: three uh, three Grammys and a Grammy Lifetime Achievement Award when he was just 36 years old. Mm. You know, those lifetime achievement awards are normally awarded well returned, after retirement, absolutely. either that or after you, <laughs> you know, pushed yeah. up the daisies, but, um, and the n- r- most, uh, the highest number of gold and platinum records ever uh, awarded to an artist, the most albums on the billboard 200 charts and most number one solo albums and solo singles on the UK charts. So the it, list
0: is endless isn't it really I mean Yes
1: <laughs> and you know what we we're discussing Elvis at a very at, uh, we're, it's very timely that we're talking about him because a biopic directed by Baz Luhrmann called Elvis has just been released it's oh. in the it's in the cinemas in Hong Kong at the moment
0: Oh wow that's good timing then
1: Um and uh, yeah and um, this film ever since it was released I think in June May or June this year has grossed nearly $270 million worldwide against a budget of $86 million. Wow. Yeah. Um, It's obviously well-made. It's interesting. This film, I was reading about the film. I wanted to go and watch it, but uh, it wasn't a show last night. Um, So I might catch it in the next couple of days, and I highly recommend it. Yes,
0: and that should be on for a while in Hong Kong. Do you yeah, think? hopefully.
1: Week so. Yeah. Hopefully, hopefully, if wow, um, if that's things catch on, catch up. Absolutely. Yes. Um, apparently, this film is um, and narrated. I mean, uh, has been has been made as if it was his manager, Colonel Tom Parker, narrating this, or th- at least flash um, in a flashback when Tom Parker was on his deathbed.
0: Oh. Okay.
1: And Tom Parker was a larger-than-life figure in Elvis's career. And we shall shall hear about him. Um, Today, I'd like to actually talk a little bit more about his early life. I mean, his later life, we all kind of... People know what had had actually happened and his untimely death at the age of 42. And, you know, Graceland, his mansion, and so on and so forth. But what stands out to me is how this guy... um, progressed through his early years and faced rejection after rejection um, and setback after setback and yet
0: he carried on he carried
1: on Mm -hmm. that's what stands out and um, uh, so mm, he um, was born in a town called if I get this pronunciation right Tupelo in Mississippi Mm -hmm. to very poor parents Um, and um, had a close bond with both parents, uh, particularly his mother, but um, none of them was really musically inclined. So his first influences in music were at the local church. So it was gospel music that got him. And uh, um, he was a very average school kid, considered a bit of a loner in school. He was often bullied. And uh, on his 11th birthday, he got a guitar as a present and picked up uh, playing the guitar uh because of lessons from his parish pastor and you know would go to s- take his guitar to school and sing at lunchtime and he was made fun of because Aww. he used to sing hillbilly songs you know um and uh but what happened was that one of his classmates was the brother of um uh, a local radio station host <clears throat> Mm-hmm. So he got introduced to this guy and apparently he had his first radio broadcast then. He, and he was rather a case of nerves. That's
0: a very young age. Though, yes,
1: yes, it? yes, yes. And in time, his family moved to Memphis, Tennessee. And, you know, Memphis is like the cultural that hub is, and mu- yes. hub of jazz and, and country music. Yeah. And um, at his new high school, get this, his music, his music teacher actually said that he had no aptitude <laughs> for music. Oh, my
0: goodness.
1: So to prove her wrong, he brings his guitar to school wow. the next day wow. and he sings and she has to take her words back. And she, he said that, you know, well, I do have aptitude for music, but it's just that you don't appreciate what I'm singing. And she says, you're right.
0: That's that's yeah. quite something, isn't it? He knew himself, though. I mean, there was some intrinsic thing inside him which... Mm.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. And so as you, during this period, he was very influenced by country and so-called black music, listening to stations that, as I said, played race records. And um, he was inspired by black singers such as Arthur Crudup and Rufus Thomas. And um, apparently, B.B. King later said that he knew Elvis before he became the Elvis. Um In 1953, he cut his first private record in Memphis. So in those days, apparently, uh, I I remember a recording executive once telling me that just as you had these uh, photo booths that you see around MTR stations here. Yes. You had these record, record. booths. <laughs> you could play. You paid, and you went in, and you cut your wow. own acetate disc.
0: I think they should bring those back. actually. Ah, yes. <laughs> <laughs> How classic would that be? <laughs> ah, yes,
1: yes, yes, yes. So, um, okay. yeah, imagine all these that, MTR that's stations. That's quite
0: an advanced thing to have at that stage, isn't it? I mean, it was yeah. way back then, isn't yeah.
1: it? Yeah, it, it it wasn't cheap.
0: Wow. But
1: but people did it. So he thought he wanted to cut a record as a birthday <laughs> gift to his mother. So he okay. cut his first uh, uh, first records and uh, you know, he then cut a couple of more but and issued some more records, but there was they were not really successful. Um, and he had auditions, but he failed them. Mm-hmm. I mean people would just say, nah, you know, this this kid doesn't do it. Meanwhile, What happens was the guy who was running those record booths started a company called Sun Records. Mm -hmm. And he was looking for a white singer who could popularize black music because black music had a lot of uh, call those days. I mean, they must have done some audience surveys and um, figured out that this is something to be working. And uh, Sam knew Presley from his first uh, Acetate Records, obviously, as we saw So he asked him to record a few songs and at that recording session, which was a marathon session where Presley recorded song after song, it did not quite work out. But as they were packing up, Presley and his band started singing something Mm -hmm. and it was an old lament, but Presley did a very energized rendition of this. I mean, this was just, you know, what the hell? Nothing's worked out. So I'm just going to sing something. And Sam says, hang on a second. We're going to do that. We're going to record this. And they issued the record. In three days, it was played on the radio station. And when they played it, in, I think, in a span of, from what I've heard, span of two hours, they must oh. have repeated that record again and again because listeners <laughs> called in and Loved said, it. We want to listen to this. So that was his that was first amazing story. brush. <laughs> <laughs> the beginning of his uh, story to Stardom. Uh, stardom, yeah. And. Um, So this was followed by several live performances with him, with his gyrations, uh, which were often the talk of town. And um, and a recording contract with RCA Victor, which actually bought out his contract with Sun Records for, I mean, we're talking about 1956,
0: right? $40,000 then. That was, that must have been a huge amount at that point. Of course, it was. My goodness. Yeah
1: and so um, uh, sorry it was in 1955 and mm. in 56 he recorded his first hit single with RCA Heartbreak Hotel and so here i have got an alternative take mm-hmm. from that recording session which i chanced upon so let's let's have a listen okay. uh,
0: this my
1: baby will i found a new place to dwell on well, this down at the end of lonely street at Heartbreak Hotel where I'll be I'll be so lonely, baby Well, I'm so lonely I'll be so lonely I could die
0: It's a great track, Elvis and Heartbreak Hotel, and that started off with the, was the original bit where they were recording it. Then I see, oh yes,
1: absolutely. So you could hear the um, uh, thing sound from the, um, the 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 speech from the control room. Mm-hmm. One thing I'd like to just a bit of trivia, but I'm sure the audio files in amongst our listeners and uh, would be interested in knowing this. So you could hear this echo in this recording. Mm-hmm. So that was simulated echo. They used to call it jury rigged echo. Okay, so the way they did it is that they would record the song on tape and then they'd redo re-record the song with a slight delay onto another tape, mm-hmm. and that is what produced the echo effect. Echo. yes, okay. <laughs> it just
0: gave it I suppose a heaviness to the sound of it. Yes, yeah, it just yes, changed the sound
1: it was and that was the in thing those days. okay. you know of course, now technologies forget it. we've come too far. <laughs> so around this time, Colonel Tom Parker, who we spoke of earlier, uh, became his manager. Essentially, from what I've read, um, he told Elvis that, uh, look, you know, you want to let me manage your career. And Colin, Tom Parker was a bit of a hustler. And the word colonel, don't be misled by it. It was, it was an honorific. In fact, they say that he used to claim that he was from somewhere in from Nashville or something. But in actual fact, he was an illegal immigrant from Netherlands.
0: Okay. (laughs) he Gave himself the title then. Yes, exactly. And
1: he became his manager, pretty much running Elvis's life and deciding what he would do, who he would meet, where he would perform, everything, um, and which music he would sing. Um, And Elvis released his first self-titled album called Elvis Presley in 1956. And the cover became iconic because it forever associated the guitar with rock and roll. Mm. And there's a picture, if you look at that, you know, with Elvis and his guitar there. Mm. Um, and then followed many TV appearances and live shows with his trademark dance moves. Um, we've spoken about this before. And women screamed and the crazed <laughs> audience led to allegations of immorality. <laughs> In fact, he was
0: an amazing dancer. I mean, yeah. y- you cannot... Help, but you know that was was that? Do you think that was one of the attractions? Obviously, his music was fantastic, but it was just the whole package, wasn't it? Oh yes,
1: absolutely, and his looks. Apparently, he was very
0: handsome. Oh
1: yes, he, there was there was there's um there was one of his produ- people who had worked with him who said, or maybe it was one of his show hosts, who said, "You know what? I'm as straight as a rod. When even this guy walks into the room, you know, he but. haven't <laughs> yes, you haven't seen anything like him, you know." Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, with his hair and, uh, you know, his long sideburns and, you know, his, you know, kind of cute face. Well, he
0: was a perfect actor, wasn't he? Yes, that's it. Absolutely. You know, That's what got him on the screen as well, probably.
1: Uh, absolutely. Um, so, uh, I mean, uh, I mean, from where I come from in India, you'd see all these... Uh, women who are in their 80s right now still (laughs) gushing about him
0: (laughs) and also I think you know I do recall that um, you know people's hairstyles suddenly changed there was that Elvis look you know you had the whole brill cream and things like that and you had that little bit at the front which was Elvis and so he was really quite a leader in every respect wasn't he
1: sure absolutely I mean he became a sex symbol he became a fashion icon as most of these popular um, artists do and that's this is this is um, when, as I said, you know, somebody complained to the FBI, J. Edgar Hoover, saying that, you know, he was a corrupting influence on the young.
0: Yeah, well, I suppose, you know, that's how they probably saw it at that time. Um, Jang, I'm going to just stop you there for a few moments. Um, we have got a little bit more on Elvis in a few moments, but we're going to cross over to the newsroom for the news headlines first. And then after that, we'll um, get back to jung <laughs> That's Elvis Presley and Burning Love from nineteen seventy two. A quick shout out to Niti Patel who listens in who's listening to the show in Bangalore. She's a follower of JJ's Music Box. So hello to you if you're listening. And now, JJ, that was a that was a great track, wasn't it?
1: Yes, absolutely. I mean, you could see Sam, even though this was recorded much later in nineteen seventy two, you can still see that they carried through that feeling, uh, the feel of that jury-rigged echo mm-hmm. in yes, his voice.
0: yes Yeah, no, I can hear it now. As now as you've mentioned it, yeah. This
1: became a pretty, pretty much a trademark with him. So we're still in nineteen, the um, late nineteen fifties, and around this time, he recorded "Love Me Tender," which had a record-breaking one million advance orders even before it was released. Wow. Yeah, and this also became the title of his first movie appearance, and as we shall see, you know, he had many movies, which, my, unfortunately, a lot of them just didn't do that well. Mm-hmm. But
0: um, I used to really like them actually. I remember watching a lot of Elvis movies.
1: Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> there were there was kind of he had success once they were in a while romantic with them. ones, that's yes, it. obviously, you know. Um. So from 60, from 58 to 60, he was drafted in the army, and during that he lost his mother, whom, uh, to whom, he, whom he was very close to. And that it is said that he was never the same again after that. Um, it was during this time that he also experienced the joys of amphetamine. Mm. Trouble Yes, trouble, big trouble which unfortunately became the beginning of addiction to drugs that marked the rest of his career and also contributed to his premature end It's mm, very sad Yeah, From 1960 to 68 he was fully engrossed in films In fact there was very little music that he did and what he did was not that noteworthy and you know he, there was a decline in his um, music career at that time Also a lot of people kind of blame it on the British, so-called British invasion. Mm-hmm. And uh, let's face it, the Beatles did change.
0: Yeah, suddenly the attention was diverted then. Yeah, and
1: yeah. they did change. They had an impact on musical style. So they started where he left off. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you listen to the early hits of the Beatles, it's they're almost, you know. And he used to admire them. In fact, even later, apparently, he used to sing their songs on stage. Mm-hmm. And um, um, they had even met... Uh, when the Beatles were touring uh, America. Mm -hmm. So, um, and this is where, um, um, basically, it was Tom Parker who pushed him in films. You know, as you know, out there, you know, your manager decides everything.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. Um, His music career had been flagging until late 1968, when he had a comeback TV appearance that put him back on the map. So it was a recorded show which was aired um, in early December 1968. And again, you know, it had a huge audience viewership Um, and uh, he was back again. Um, And it is at this time that he got international fame as well, performing in Europe and other regions. And unfortunately, he just uh, this, this and, you know, what it what is it with stars and the, the planet Venus.
0: No, they don't have much luck with these things, do yes, they? Yes, <laughs> yes.
1: And so that had an impact on his marriage.
0: Okay,
1: uh, which broke down in seventy-two. And in 73, he saw the first ever concert to be televised live around the world called Aloha from Hawaii. I mean, he performed mm-hmm. live mm-hmm. In, that, in that show uh, in, in, in Hawaii. And it was televised to countries uh, like Japan, South Korea, Thailand, the Philippines. Wow,
0: that's yeah, pretty and, mega at that time, isn't yes, it? Yes.
1: And then later, uh, he, I think he did this concert. It was like a three-day gig and um, uh, they televised the second and the third day. And the third day was then televised to Europe. It was big. It was Mm. big. And mind you, um, that concert, um, I remember receiving a double album of that concert when I had just turned 10 Mm -hmm. as a birthday gift. Um, And uh, it was um, my first introduction to Elvis.
0: Wow. Great place to... Absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely.
1: Yeah, I mean, um, even at that age, um, I remember it was in Antwerp, I was in Antwerp, Belgium, and it was quite a fascinating introduction to his music. And, and did you time.
0: like it as soon as you heard it at the age of ten? Oh 10? yes, of
1: course. Who <laughs> you wouldn't? can't help but
0: that's you, right.
1: <laughs> who wouldn't? You know, I mean, <laughs> I still remember the opening of that album, which was strains from Richard Strauss's *Also sprach Zarathustra*, and then he sings CC C. Rider, and you know, the crowd going absolutely <laughs> <Bonkers>. wild.
0: <laughs> oh, I'd like to have seen that, honestly. <laughs> well, we,
1: we, when, when um, um, towards the end of the show, we're going to hear a track from that. Um, uh, which is um, going to um, which is one of my selections from that mm-hmm. and then he self steadily deteriorated after that and he undertook what seems to be his last concert uh, rec- sorry last recording session in late 1975 and which albums did moderately well in August 1677 when he was actually scheduled to travel for another tour he was found in his bathroom unresponsive mm. And he was declared dead at the local hospital. And there were controversies surrounding the cause of his death, which people put down to drug overdose. But later on, it was said that he was due to a sudden and massive heart attack.
0: Because mm, he was quite overweight during the last uh, yes. time. Yes, and
1: it was drug use, uh, excessive it's eating, all sorts and, things, and all kinds of right. things. And his grace home, Graceland, became the, has become the second most ho- visited home in the United States after the White House, attracting nearly half a million visitors annually. And even after death, he remains the highest-grossing artist, earning nearly $60 million per year.
0: Wow. Wow. What a legacy. What an amazing story. Absolutely. Joeng, that was fantastic. Thank you so much. Um, it just kind of—I think you—you you hear some of these things, and it just refreshes your interest in that artist, and you want to go back and listen to more of their music. So, <laughs> thank you very much for coming pleasure is entirely today. mine, as always. And, and I always look forward to having you back. And we're going to end with a track now. Your—you know—we'll end the session with a track. What have you chosen? Last well,
1: I have chosen this cover of "Bridge Over Troubled Water," which I consider to be one of the best covers of the original Simon and Garfunkel a melody. It is from that Hawaii concert. Okay. Um, and um, I chose that because partly element of nostalgia and partly I think that it's his voice had matured by then and you see and see you listen to him in a very different kind of uh, mm. phase of his life. Mm-hmm. And I actually prefer his voice then.
0: Jeng, thank you very much. And we're going to end this um, Elvis special uh, with Bridge Over Troubled Water.